So, Mark. Yes. In honor of the character in this film played by Ned Glass, I wanted to start off by asking who your favorite example is of an old person in a movie who goes by Doc, who is just weirdly friends with all the characters. The one that comes to mind most, obviously, is the dwarf named Doc from Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, which I have not seen in a really long time. He is older than all the other dwarves, right? He does seem to be older than all the other dwarves. He seems to be the, like... He's definitely in charge. The head dwarf. He's the one who calls out hi-ho, and they all hi-ho back at him. Right. So he seems to be the uh, HBIC of the dwarf worlds. HDIC? HDIC. Head Doc in charge. That's exactly what it stands for. (laughs) I was thinking Head Dwarf, and then I thought about the fact that Doc also started with a D, and I got a little lost. That's what his full name is, Dr. Dwarf. Dr. Dwarf. He didn't go to seven years of medical dwarf school for you to call him Mr. Absolutely not. Anyway. (laughs) Of course, we have Doc in this movie, the old guy who runs the candy store. My personal favorite example would be Emmett Brown, who one day in 1955 hit his head in the bathroom and the vision of the flux capacitor appeared to him and he spent the next 30 years of his life developing it because that's the secret to what makes time travel possible. I guess if you add a last name to it, there's probably more docs, but I was just trying to go with a pure classic doc. Marty McFly calls him Doc all the time. Yeah, but he has a name. I challenge you to find a full name for either Doc in West Side Story or Doc in Snow White. Well, we already talked about Dr. Dwarf being his name, and I assume that in West Side Story, his name is Doc Candyman. He doesn't run a candy store. They refer to it as a candy shop. They also refer to it as a drugstore. Yeah, it's both. Yeah, it's many things. That tells you about the different characters. What do they think of this store as being about... Is it just a place for candy, or is there more going on there? So, like, Baby John would probably call it a candy shop, whereas older people like Maria think of it in a more complicated way. Sure. (laughs) Try to find other people named Doc in movies, and it's very hard. There aren't a ton, but there's actually going to be not one fewer, because this movie will still exist, but as you know... Steven Spielberg is in the midst of making a new film adaptation of West Side Story. Correct. I did know that. And there will not be a character named Doc in his version of the movie. Oh, I already know. Because instead, they're reworking the character. They've named her Valentina, and she will be played by Rita Moreno. It would be a crime if they didn't cast Rita Moreno in some way in this movie. (laughs) She is the only part of this movie that matters to me, to be honest. Oh, but all of this movie is so great. It's a great movie, but Anita is truly everything I need in a character, if you think about it. Fun fact, if you look closely, you can see that there are other characters and scenes with Rita Moreno. They're hard to notice behind her. So it's worth noting, Rita Moreno is one of this movie's 10 Oscars. That's so many Oscars. It's the most awarded musical in Academy history. Because it wins the Oscar for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Art Direction, Cinematography, Costume Design, Editing, Original Score, and Sound. And then George Shakiris wins for Supporting Actor for playing Bernardo. And, of course, Rita Moreno wins Supporting Actress for playing Anita. I'd say this movie is the most musical-ist of movies I've seen in a while, where it's, like, all dancing and singing. And I guess Chicago is that way, too. Like, there's not as much story, but this movie is so much dancing. Sure, and that has its roots in the stage musical as well, where 
it was directed by a choreographer who worked really hard to integrate dance into the story and to have the ways the different characters are dancing reflect who they are. I love the way that dance is used in this to show different character interactions. The way the Jets dance when they're on their own is different than how they dance when they're around other people. Right. And they all kind of have their own moves that they're engaging with. Jerome Robbins also contributed to directing this movie. He's officially credited as a co-director with Robert Wise. And they shared the Best Director win. And Robbins was brought on specifically to do the song and dance sequences because Robert Wise had never directed a musical before. It is worth noting, Robbins was fired because things were taking too long and becoming too expensive. But he continued to communicate with Wise and continued to be involved with the project. That's very big of him to be able to do that after being fired. Yeah. One very important fact I learned from watching this movie is I didn't realize Brett B. Cool from Flight of the Concords was a direct reference to a song in this movie. Listen, Brett, it's not a threat. I'm not gonna sleep till I found him. I'll pound him. I'll bet I regret you ever messed with Brett from the top rats. That's one of those moments where all of a sudden the women were there and I didn't really get where they were from. Like, as they're credited on Wikipedia. The they're girls. The jet women. Oh, if you watch the credits of the movie, it's they're girls. And then they all have names. They do. But it's, here's a block of guys. They're girls. The block of guys is also just referred to generically as the jets. So it's not like... They all have names too, though. They all have names. Everyone has a name. I was shocked by that because it felt like the names of the tethered in us. Where they're never said in the movie, all of a sudden there's names in the credits and you're just like, who's that one again? I think all the jet names get mentioned. I don't think all the shark names do. What? The white people get more attention than the people of color in this movie? In that there are no people of color except for Rita Moreno? That's not true. A lot of the sharks are actually people yeah, of color. Yeah, like the not background sharks. Are lead sharks. Yeah. It's also possible that I noticed their names less because their names are normal Hispanic names. Yeah, that's fair. Like... Pepe and Luis, whereas the Jets are all named Tiger and Joy Boy and Mouthpiece and Action. Yeah, there's a guy just named Action in this movie. What a great name! We could call you Action Mark. Well, there's already Action Jackson, and I feel like they took that market and they kind of stole the name Action. I don't know. I like to think that we could make this happen for you. I don't know if I need it to. But do you want it to not really there's a difference between wants and needs here as someone whose favorite place and this is on the record is bed i feel like i don't qualify for the name action depends on what kind of action gross william welcome to we love the love a hollywood romance podcast i'm mark and i'm the top cat in town and i'm will and i'm the gold medal kid with the heavyweight crown and this of course is an investigative podcast where we dig deep into the most pressing questions of our day, does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable or even likable? You know what? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation. Either way, we will dig in. We will see what's there. It is our mission. It is our quest. We're going to roam the streets at night. We're going to start off going shadow to shadow, but maybe later on we'll just start shouting out the question because we don't know what to do with ourselves anymore because we're overwhelmed and this week, we're continuing our month of musicals by looking at it with, actually, our first theatrically released American musical of the bunch, 1961's Academy Award winner for Best Picture, West Side Story, directed, as we said, by Robert Wise and Jerome Robbins. 
According to Google, winningest is a word. It is. That's a dumb word. No, it's a great word. We use it in sports a lot to describe the winningest team. Oh. That doesn't follow basic English grammar rules. Right, but there's not a word in basic English grammar rules to be like an adjective form of this team has more wins than every other team. The most wins. The most winning team. But does that mean they won? Does that mean they won by the largest margin? It's confusing. If you say so, I think it means the same thing. Just like most fun and funnest, in theory, mean the same thing. Funning is a word. (laughs) (laughs) It is indeed. Anyway, I had not seen West Side Story before I watched. Yeah. So what did you think of it? It was good. I think watching it in 2019, when I was aware of brownface, made it a little difficult at first to kind of like get into it. Just because it's, you know, it's kind of uncomfortable to see. And I want to address that right away. There are white people who darken their faces with makeup in this movie to appear more Puerto Rican. Sure, absolutely. it should be mentioned that that's bad. It is indeed. (laughs) It is a problem that George Shakiris was able to play Riff in the London production of West Side Story. And then play Bernardo in the movie version of West Side Story. Yes. That is bad. But luckily, Steven Spielberg was like, that is bad, and made sure to cast only Latinx actors as sharks. Yes. And the periphery shark people. Yes. And I don't want to dismiss that. Aside from that, this movie's a masterpiece. It is. I think that it's definitely a choice to take Romeo and Juliet and condense it in time. Yeah. (laughs) This Shakespeare play that is often mocked for like, didn't those kids only know each other for like two weeks? And be like, what if it was two days? Yeah, it definitely ran with it hard. But at least in this, the marriage, I think, is handled well, where it's not like they're actually getting married. They play act it, but then you still get the reference to marriage from the play. This felt more of a direct adaptation than I was expecting in a way. Yeah, and I love a lot of the things that it does as an adaptation of Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, it definitely is really interesting in a lot of the choices they make about Romeo and Juliet. You know, making Tybalt Bernardo, her brother, which is more close, actually kind of enhances the drama of it all because it's unclear they're generic cousins tybalt and juliet but cousin and cousin could mean could anything mean anything at that time it could mean your uncle that you were also married to at that era it was a very generic word i will say i think one of the adaptations i really like is the marriage scene which we'll talk about in much more detail later right but the way that it instead of having an adult who should know better <laughs> facilitating it we have these young people sort of play acting at their best possible vision of something while they're in this kind of euphoric moment alone with each other i think the more interesting idea is that it takes the story of the capulets and the montagues who are the top families in their city and brings it down to the lowest classes because i think one of the frustrating things about romeo and juliet at times is you're like these guys are really rich and influential, and if they would just shut up and leave each other alone, they would all have really nice lives. They basically make everyone in the city of Verona murder each other in the streets. Because they are so rich, they employ everyone else, whereas all of a sudden the whole city hates each other. Whereas in West Side Story, the Jets and the Sharks, their conflict is wrong, and the movie clearly feels that way but you understand their perspective where these are people who feel like they have nothing else and if they can't hold on to this one little corner then there will be nothing left for them and i think that plays really well because what seems like pettiness at times in romeo and juliet seems like desperation in this and i think the role of lieutenant shrank and officer krupke works really well there too 
because when we see someone like Paris in Romeo and Juliet, we're like, why can you not keep a tighter lid on this situation? Whereas Shrank and Krupke form a real threat mm-hmm. to these people and to their way of life, and they are hiding from them. That threat is much more significant for the Sharks, but it's there for the Jets as well. The stakes are honestly higher in this by changing the station of these people. I think it really does elevate the life and death feeling of it all. And at the same time that it's doing all this, it is adapting Romeo and Juliet in a very American mindset, where it was originally conceived by Jerome Robbins and then brought to Arthur Lawrence and to Leonard Bernstein as literally the original name was East Side Story. And it was supposed to be about a rivalry between a Catholic family and a Jewish family in the 1940s, which is when they had the idea. They bounced the idea around, let it come and go. It's not until several years later that they were reading newspaper articles about gang conflict in Los Angeles and were like, what if we worked gangs into this story? And they actually thought about moving it to Los Angeles, but decided they didn't know enough about the city to make it work. But it is something very particular to America in that window and yet also kind of frustratingly lasting in the issues that it's dealing with. Yeah. One thing I found really interesting, speaking of the Americanness, is the song American. Yeah. America. Because I've heard the musical version and the movie version is really different because it adds a gendered element to it where the men are the ones who are singing against why they hate America and like Puerto Rico. And it's coming from the understandable feelings that they don't have a chance because they are not white. That is fair. But then I think by making the women be the ones supporting America, it adds an interesting element where Anita, Rita Moreno's character, feels that she has more freedom in America than she would in Puerto Rico. And Maria, in her first scene, is talking about how she feels she should have more freedom in America. So it's just an interesting idea that, you know, there are pros and cons to every place you go. And I thought that was a better idea than in the musical where it's just two different women with different ideas i thought it kind of elevated that song to a more interesting place it adds another element of conflict to the movie right because you get the idea that anita is more willing to be bold and outspoken in this movie and maria is more willing to pursue this new idea than just marrying the man she's told to marry because they're in america where in puerto rico it seems that they felt that they had to be more contained so this movie really is in reaction to that idea of women gaining some more freedom by moving to America at the time, which is also crazy to think about because it's like 1954. I think that's when the like musical premiered and that's kind of when it The musical feels. was 57. 57, and that feels, even though the movie came out later, it feels like it's definitely still of that feeling. Although there is a fast turnaround because the musical is 57, the movie is 61. Yeah, so I guess they like started production of the movie before then. But also the idea of the 60s being a different decade doesn't really start till later in the decade. The more radical changing nature of things in American culture definitely doesn't pick up steam till later in the decade. Sure, Kennedy's president by the time this comes out, but the bigger stuff comes later. Right, but you haven't had Summer of Love, Vietnam protests... Stonewall. The major stuff is definitely back half of yes. the decade. So it's just interesting that it has that element added to it of where Anita is coming from. And that helps to make Anita a more interesting character because she's the most important thing in this movie to me. <laughs> I mean, she's great. She's great. She wears the best clothes. She's the best dancer, or at least the most compelling dancer, in my opinion, to watch. Oh, absolutely. I mean, brown face aside, I think Natalie Wood is mostly very good in the movie. She is. Not a great dancer. No. And she's clearly, they're 
putting her character from a more ballet element, whereas Anita's character is coming from a much more, like, intense, passionate form of dancing. Although a lot of this is all very heavily ballet influenced. It is, definitely. Especially, I think, when you watch the Jets as they're going around their world. Oh, definitely that element. I'd say that Maria's like a traditional ballet style, whereas there's a lot more ballroom element to like Bernardo and Nidia dancing with each other, where you get like the- Well, especially at like the gym. The, right. You got like the mambo and the tango. I don't really know anything about dance, but that kind of vibe, at least that beat in the music too. I was reading about the song America and they were just like, coincidentally, this song is heavily influenced by Latin American music. Not a coincidence. Or what not coincidence. IMDb like, fact was this? <laughs> no, it was like, ironically, this song is heavily influenced by Latin American music. And I was like, yes, that is the point. <laughs> Good work, Wikipedia. Speaking of Natalie Wood, in addition to not being a great dancer, that's also not her singing. Yeah. It's which not- is not unusual in a movie like this. But she's dubbed over with Marnie Nixon, and she did not want that to happen. So Natalie Wood recorded songs shot the scenes to her recordings and then the producers did separate recordings with marnie nixon and put it in without telling natalie wood that's crazy yeah let's name some credits of marnie nixon oh it's a million ridiculous she was the voice of the king and i west side story my Fair Lady. Interestingly, in Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, they kind of mix her in as only the high notes in Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. Which is somewhat common. They did that in this movie for a boy like that because Rita Moreno couldn't hit all the low notes. Yeah, I thought it was kind of interesting because you can hear it. It's not overpowering. It doesn't like take you out of it in either of those movies, but you can definitely tell when they like switch to a different singer to hit those notes. I'm glad Marnie Nixon is famous. Yeah, although she is famous now. She wasn't at the time. She's not even credited on the cast album for this movie. And as a result of that, she wasn't scheduled to get any royalties from it. Except Leonard Bernstein gave her 0.25% of all of his royalties from it. And that has since become a standard for people who do dubbing stuff. That's cool. She definitely got undercredited throughout her whole life, but I'm glad that she is now receiving the attention that she deserves. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, anything else to talk about before we move into the romance? That covers most of the important stuff in this movie. Yeah, that covers most of the stuff that I have. Um, Other funny fact about Natalie Wood getting involved in this is that she was not a person who was really on the creative team's radar when they were looking to cast the movie, but they really wanted Warren Beatty to play Tony. I'd buy it. And Beatty and Natalie Wood were co-starring in Splendor in the Grass at the time and were also dating. And they asked Beatty to send them a reel of some of his stuff so they could look at it. And they saw Natalie Wood in his reel from this movie and were like, actually, we don't want you, but we do want her. So send her our way. I could have stood to look at Warren Beatty in another movie for a while. I don't think I would have minded. No, but Tony's good. Tony is good, but... I watched Bonnie and Clyde recently. Oh, yeah. He is handsome. Indeed. (laughs) That is my hot take for the episode. Warren Beatty, handsome. Well, we will fire that one out into the internet and see what kind of backlash we get. This is what will put us on the map. This hard stance people will find controversial, and then they will want to ask us about it. Yeah, we're going to make it work. We got a nice mashup hashtag, hashtag Beatty, but it's B-A-E-T-T-Y, and that's how we're indicating Mark's affection for him. There's also hashtag debate Beatty, spelled the same way, but 
so that we can engage into a fuller discussion. Wait, how do we spell hashtag debate baiting? D E B A E T E B A E T T Y. Wait, so the ba- hashtag baity is incorporated in hashtag debate baity. It's two hashtags. You have to use both. Because remember, we try to take up as many characters so they can't say any words in their tweets. Well, yeah. And also because hashtag 240 characters is a disaster. So we want to limit people to what they're able to say. Yeah. That's why we have, at this point, more hashtags than you have characters. It's what we do. We love hashtags. Something that definitely fell off, but we're now bringing back, and I'm happy about it. These things come and go. Just like DuckTalk. Well, I was about to say, Disney has confirmed that they plan to keep Hulu going and put some of their more adult-oriented fare there. So never fear, the Howard the Duck show is still alive and in development. (laughs) Is it really? Yeah. Oh my god. The animated Howard the Duck series. We've talked about this. We did. I thought for a second you were going to say that Howard the Duck was going to be cast in West Side Story. Like, <laughs> that would be amazing. That was going to be That's a Disney movie joke. now. Because that was a Fox movie. <laughs> so that's now a Disney production. I hate everything. Howard the Duck? What if Disney had shut down Hulu? Imagine how terrifying that would be. That would be. I didn't even realize that was like a consideration. Well, because they now have the controlling share. Yeah, because they had they had shares originally through ABC. So they were 30%. Yeah. Fox was 30. Comcast, NBC is 30. And then Warner's was 10. Okay. So Fox and Disney together are 60. Comcast is trying to build their own thing. So they actually just made a deal where Hulu keeps their stuff for the next five years, at least, while Comcast builds their own platform. And then after that, Disney has to buy their shares if Comcast wants to sell it. So eventually this is just going to be a Disney-owned streaming service. Right. But the difference will be like Disney Plus is your family-oriented fare and your Star Wars and your Lucasfilm, your Nat Geo, and then stuff that you may not want the kids watching goes on Hulu. Shouldn't they put The Simpsons there or not Disney Plus? Uh, Simpsons is a weird middle ground, man. Kids watch Simpsons. I wasn't allowed to. Uh, That's not uncommon. Yeah. But it's a thing. But like all the FX stuff... That'll go on Hulu. Right. Anyway, should we start talking about the points? Yeah, let's do it. So every week, we break down the romance of a movie into the five points that best summarize and exemplify that romance. So for West Side Story, we're going to be focusing on the romantic saga of Tony, short for Anton, one of the former members of the Jets, a white gang on the West Side, and Maria, a recently arrived Puerto Rican whose brother is the leader of the Sharks, a Puerto Rican gang in the area. It's not like they're officially engaged, but Maria and Chino are going to get married. It's been decided for her, essentially. Right. In Maria's first scene, we hear about this, and she's not a huge fan. By the way, we're into point number one. Something's coming. I don't know what it is, but it is gonna be great. So Maria is not really interested In being with Chino, she mentions that when she looks at Chino, she doesn't feel anything. So what the heck? She wants to feel great romance. We also learn that Chino has a very fragile sense of masculinity because he's not willing to walk into a dress shop. That was a very weird thing. And I like that everyone, including Bernardo, is like, what's wrong with you, man? Yeah, so Bernardo is Maria's brother and is dating Anita, who is Maria's best friend. Just to set the stage on all of the relationships. Bernardo and Anita basically have a fun, combative relationship that is characterized through their whole time together. 
it's implied that it's very hot because at one point Maria threatens to tell Anita's parents about what she saw Bernardo and Anita doing in the movie theater. Probably kissing. Yes. Maybe they held hands. Yeah. Their fingers grazed each other in a bucket of popcorn. They did an interlocking hands as opposed to a nice firm palm grip. All of these things would destroy Anita's reputation. They'd be totally scandalous. By the way, before we get too deep into this, can I point something out? All the music in this is incredible. It's great. But the opening music, after the overture, once the movie actually starts and we're seeing visuals, it is the same opener as the Muppets Take Manhattan. It is somebody whistling over shots of New York City. They're really cool shots of New York City. They are. It was cool to see it from those angles at that time. And at that point, we don't know whether we're going to see the Jets or whether we're going to see the end of Manhattan Melodies. Well, the Muppets came after, so I'm guessing they were maybe inspired by this famous film that won 10 Academy Awards. But alternatively, since we've been talking about docs, is it possible... That using flux capacitor technology, people decided to go back to before the Muppets take Manhattan and use a similar opening sequence. You're going to lean towards no, because the Muppets already have a doc, and his name is Dr. Teeth, and he is the lead singer of The Electric Mayhem. Don't forget Dr. Bunsen Honeydew. They're overdocked. Do you think it's a direct reference? I assume. Maybe. It probably it's, is. It's a New York-based musical, so probably. Yeah. What if we did a re-edit of this with the songs from The Muppets Take Manhattan? There's not that many songs in Muppets Take Manhattan. So we've got You Can't Take No for an Answer. The baby song. We've got I'm Gonna Always Love You. The final musical number. Yeah, Somebody's Getting Married. Somebody's That's Getting Married. That's what they sing in the dress shop instead of One Hand, One Heart. It's Somebody's Getting Married. Surprise, those dress dummies are actually ordained ministers. Tony and Maria are married. Well, they're Muppets, so they're going to have little mouths in the necks of the mannequins. That's horrifying to think about. I mean, they got to eat somehow. Mannequins are already baseline creepy. I'm just weirded out whenever mannequins have, like, details that are unnecessary for their job. Like, when I see a mannequin with nipples, I'm like, what are we doing here? A mannequin with abs, unless it's, like, for bottoms. But it's weird to have a mannequin's shirt taken off, and they took the time to mold abs onto it. Like, what's the point of that? I don't know. I don't want to be attracted to a mannequin. No. (laughs) And I never have been, so. I mean, I haven't either, but I don't want to start. Yeah. Make mannequins uglier. That is our actual campaign coming out of this. Hashtag MMUA. What is the A? Make mannequins ugly again. No, didn't think about that. Okay, so anyway, Maria's recently arrived in America, and she wants to live an adventurous life. The life that she feels she was promised living in America. She wants to wear adult colors, like red, instead of this, like, little girl white dress. She wants the neckline to be a little lower, so she can be, like, a hot lady. But only one inch. Right, one inch, not a lot. Not a lot. And Anita's like... That will be too scandalous, and your parents will lock you away. But once you're together with Chino, people won't care so much. Right, once you're in an established relationship, you don't have to wear the virginal white. But Maria's like, no, Chino's boring. Yeah. And he's very fragile. And then she puts on the dress and is like, wow, this looks amazing, because it does. Oh, it does. And I think Natalie Wood got all of her organs removed for this movie. Well... It's a character choice. Maria's organs were seized at the border. She is so thin. Yes. Her waist is scary how small it is. The dress does look good. The dress does look good, though. 
All right, we're going to leave Maria here for the moment. We're going to cut across town to the Jets. One thing I love in this movie, and I've said that a lot, and I'm going to keep saying it, all of the gangs mark their territory like college students advertising a club fair. And, like, I know graffiti is a thing, but they're not really doing graffiti. They're kind of just writing their name all over the place. So over in Jets turf, we see them getting ready to have a showdown because they want to kick the sharks off their territory for good. And And there's a strong racial resentment angle to it. Very much so. And the leader of the Jets, Riff, is like, I know what we should do. We should get old Tony to help us out. Everyone's scared of Tony. He's the best rumbler in town. Rumble! And Tony is no longer a Jet. As you said, he's gone legit. He works for Doc now, stocking the shop, keeping things going. They don't really explain why he went legit. Not really. I never really got it. But Tony's legit now. Which is also interesting because Romeo is very much uh, Montague. But Tony's on the weird periphery of the conflict. Right. Instead, in this movie, we have everyone kind of invested in this conflict, except for Tony and Maria, who are outliers in part in that they're optimists. These are all people, for the most part, who are consigned to the hard circumstances in which they live. Tony and Maria, and Tony especially, believe that like a wonderful, harmonious future is just there for the grabbing. And so Tony is loath to get involved in any of this jet rumble business and really only agrees to because Riff is like, look, I told all the guys you were going to help out. You wouldn't want to make me look like an idiot. We're best buds, womb to tomb, birth to earth. You got to help me out, daddy-o. That's very much the vibe of this movie. And so Tony agrees. One of the things I like, and I was reading the chapter in Stephen Sondheim's book that covers Wet Side Story in preparation for this, and he talks about, and this is something we discussed a while ago with Clueless, the strength of using invented slang that sounds real. Mm-hmm. Where, like, some of the stuff, your daddy-o's, your cools, are legitimate slang from the 1950s, and then some of it is just nonsense words that sounds like slang. Right. So it can't get antiquated, because it's not a thing. The Sharks and the Jets in this movie, I was just thinking about, all of them share one common thing. They are all dandies and fops, because they are obsessed with appearance. Very much so. You got the full, like, constantly brushing your hair thing that they do in Greece. And Bernardo wears some of the coolest clothes. Like a nice black suit with a purple shirt that just pops next to Anita's purple dress. We watched this on the 50th anniversary Blu-ray, which is a very nice remastered edition. And the colors show out brilliantly. Color is a huge part of this movie. Yeah, which we get right from the drop when Maria's like, why do I have to wear white? I want Maria's French window doors so badly. What's great about those doors is that you see them and you're like, oh, these doors have a bunch of colors. And then like two thirds or three quarters of the way through the movie, you see the shot where she's standing in the door and it's open and the different panels of colored light are falling into the room. And you're like, oh, this door exists so they can have this one shot. Yeah. And it looks great. The use of color as light throughout the movie is really, really excellent. There's one shot that I love that's Tony working in Doc's shop, and he's lit relatively normally. He's just, like, working on his stuff. It's during the Tonight Quintet, and he's just loving what he's doing in the natural light, but the wall all around him, the exterior, is deep red. Then you also just get, like, the transition shots where everything is in color. Yeah. Like, it just dissolves into colors and then resolves into people. We've talked about it a lot as an adaptation of Romeo and Juliet, but 
this movie is a really exciting adaptation of a stage play where they use the techniques of film to enhance and differentiate from the stage version. So we're able to do cool things with shots like that. We're able to do these transitions. And you, of course, have transitions in a musical, but they look different. We're able to do things like, during Cool, the dolly shot going through the parking garage where the guys are moving towards it. Like, that's really dynamic and energetic. And by the time this episode comes out, the Guy Ritchie Aladdin movie will have come out. But as we're recording, they just dropped a clip of the Prince Ali number, and it's something that just looks dead. Whereas... This movie uses the combination of color and camera and movement to make something that feels dynamic and almost, like, demands that you join in in movement. Those are, like, the three basic things of film. (laughs) Yes. Color, camera, movement. Sure, but I would argue that they're all working on the next level in this movie. They are. I definitely agree with that. I just am like, yes. Those three things are very important to movies. And that's why I think this movie is such a success, is it does them all so well. Right. It doesn't hurt that the songs are great. That's true. Anyway, Tony doesn't (laughs) want to be involved in the Jets anymore because he feels like there's something bigger out there, something beyond. It's a classic I want song. He's like, I I don't know what's coming, but something is. Yeah. He wants adventure in the great wide somewhere. It's the what do you do with a BA in English song. (laughs) Sure. I don't think Tony has one of those. It's a more optimistic version. And instead of buying a crappy apartment owned by a former child TV star, he goes to the big dance in the gym. Avenue Q is a great musical. It's a good musical. Just going to throw it out there. Yeah, so Tony is not going to go to the gym because the big dance is essentially just becoming a place to talk about fighting. But then he shows up anyway, and there's a lot of dancing. And then all of a sudden... Everything blurs except for the faces of Tony and Maria. They see each other across the room. They move towards each other. In this nice sort of dream ballet. Yeah, everyone behind them is blurred out. Only their faces are lit. And then they kiss. But not really. And there's a really cool thing where they're doing this dream ballet. And the closer they get, the more the music slowly, very slowly speeds up and up and up and up. Until right as they come together... Bernardo pulls them apart and is like, what the heck is going on here? (laughs) He is not happy, as you can imagine. And he insists that they leave. And they agree to a war council later that night at midnight. So that the Jets and the Sharks will figure out what they're going to do about each other and put an end to this dirty business. Right. They're going to basically establish how they will fight to maintain dominance of this corner. And that takes us to point number two. I've just met a girl named Maria And suddenly that name will never be the same to me You get the famous song Maria, which is one of the best of the men singing a woman's name after meeting them for 30 seconds songs. Well, so I was reading in Sondheim's book, he was talking about working on this song. And he was like, well, we want to write a song for him. And he just met her. They maybe exchanged 10 words. He doesn't really know anything about her. He knows she's Puerto Rican. And he probably wouldn't sing about that because that's going to be kind of a negative. And he's like, well, I guess we can uh, make it her name. And at the time that he was originally conceiving it, Tony was much more explicitly Polish Catholic. And he was like, so then there's like a component like it's almost like praying. Like, there's a Catholic thing going on there. That's no longer really in the text, but he's like, I don't know. Yeah. 
Steven Sondheim also later dips into this well in what is maybe my least favorite version of this, which is Joanna from Sweeney Todd. Which song called Joanna? Because there are three in Sweeney Todd. The one about feeling her. Oh, the main one. The main one. It's a really pretty song. It's pretty enough, but I like Maria. But when that song, I rewatched the movie, and when that song started, I was like, wow, I hate this. But maybe it's because I like Tony more than that guy. Anthony? Yep, that is his name. I was like, in my head, I was like, it can't be that name. I'm just going to not say it, because I'm probably wrong. To be fair, Sondheim did not write the book for either of those. Right. I just, something about that one really gets my goat, but this one- I don't think it's done particularly well in the Tim Burton movie. Yeah. It is a very pretty song. The worst version of Joanna is the one sung by Judge Turpin, which is about how he wants to marry Joanna. Yes, but you know what? That is a good choice to make it the creepiest one. Sure. There's, of course, the third song called Joanna, which is sung by Sweeney Todd. Yep. Anyway, they meet up at the fire escape. Yes, they do. I love this touch. When we talk about adaptation, one of the things is not just changing people's names or changing the time period, but finding ways to take stuff from the story and fit it into this new world. So taking the balcony scene from Romeo and Juliet and setting it on fire escapes is really cool to me, where it's bringing in that social class element. These people live in apartments, not big manners. It happens outside on this place that can be scaled, but also has an air of danger to it. Not just because there are all the people around who could hear it, but like fire escapes always have a perception of being kind of rickety. Yeah, and they're only supposed to be used in emergencies, so they're not kept up as well. But this almost seems like an emergency. We're going to talk about how, as a Romeo and Juliet story, these are people moving very fast. Yeah. But we do, I think especially in this scene, have a sense of the intensity of their emotion. This is a thing that cannot be kept in. The other nice thing about fire escapes is they give even more levels, which is a theater person's dream. Yes. Levels. So they meet on the fire escapes and they speak to each other. And Tony's like, come on down for a minute. And she's like, a minute's not enough, which she means sincerely as like, that's not enough time. But also like, what am I going to do? Risk getting caught for a minute? And he's like, an hour forever, whatever it is, let's do this. He's so excited. And he tells her that he loves her. He's like all in right off the drop. Right. And this is is fully where the movie is like, so this is moving fast. Yeah. But they embrace it. And she's like, great. When am I going to see you again? He says, tomorrow. He's going to come meet her at the dress shop. They sing Tonight, one of the all-time great. Although all of the songs in this movie are top tier. They are. Fun fact about Tonight, originally One Hand, One Heart, the wedding song, was supposed to be here. But they decided that it was too still for the way they're feeling at this point. So they took... Tony and Maria's part from the quintet, which had already been written. And they're like, we could expand this into a song. And then later on, now it's a reprise. Oh, huh. I wouldn't have expected it to work that direction. Anyway, point three. I feel stunning and entrancing. Feel like running and dancing for joy. For a lot by your pretty wonderful boy. So point number three, it's the next day. We're at the dress shop. Maria sings I Feel Pretty, which is great. And after watching this movie, I immediately went over to YouTube and fired up ye old John Edwards video. Do you know about this? No. In 2008, so this is like the first election that really has YouTube. 
John Edwards was running for the Democratic nomination for president. He was kind of the third candidate after Obama and Hillary Clinton. And Edwards was famous as a good-looking man. And somehow a story got out that he had had this dizzyingly expensive haircut and that got leaked and so then somebody made a video of him getting ready for an interview just like doing his hair and scored it to i feel pretty and put it up and it was like a huge viral hit of the 2008 primaries youtube in 2008 man it was good times what a time that was the age of like scarlet takes a tumble and the atlanta grape lady ow ow Oh. Old YouTube was the best YouTube oh. before it was professional and it was just weird crap. Yeah, it was AFV, but weirder. Yeah, because there were no restrictions at all. It had all the flash animation too. Yep. So anyway, Maria sings I Feel Pretty. She's like, I love looking awesome. She's trying on all these different hats. Everyone's like, Maria, you seem real happy. And she's like, you bet I do. And then Tony shows up. Yep. And unlike Chino, he is perfectly happy to walk into the shop. Yeah. Anita stays just too long maria is saying like oh you can leave you can leave i'll close up get out get out get out but she's just hanging out and then tony shows up while she's still there so anita knows about this and she's mad she is mad but she agrees to keep mum and then she leaves and it's worth noting anita again is dating bernardo the head of the sharks yeah and also thus consequently friends with chino and she is pro maria and chino being together so there's a lot of reasons she should be mad But Tony, ever the oblivious optimist, after Anita leaves, is like, it's okay, she likes us. Yeah, it was very weird. Tony is a sweet, handsome boy, but he is a dummy. He is a beautiful idiot. And they start goofing off. Tony's like, oh, I'll, like, meet your parents. That'll be fun. And Marie's like, you're not going to meet my parents. And they start playing with the mannequins as though they're their parents, which is pretty cute. And I think emphasizes their youth. Right. One of the things that's interesting about this movie is that the presence of adults is mentioned a lot, but with the exception of Lieutenant Trank, Officer Krupke, and Doc, we never see them. And uh, we hear voices the of Maria's owner parents. Of the shop. What's her face? Lucy. Oh, of the dress shop. Yeah, the yes. dress shop. But we hear the voices of Maria's parents, but we never actually see any of them on screen, which I think is significant because this is a world where either by choice. Or by what they feel is necessity, these are kids who are isolated from any other options in their lives. Right. We hear from Riff talking about how he and the other Jets, even when they live with family members, don't really feel connected with them or don't feel like they can rely on them. So they rely on this group of people. And I think if we saw the adults, then that isolation would either be more of a bummer because we would see how terrible the adults were, or it would be more confusing because we would wonder why they don't take other options like Tony does. Instead, the adults that we do see are people who can't understand the world. There's Doc who is incredibly frustrated by it. Like when he hits Tony in the face and he's like, is this the only thing you guys will understand? But then also folks like Lieutenant Shrank who are just like, you know what? If you guys want to kill each other, fine. Just don't do it anywhere. I'm going to get in trouble. And Shrank would prefer for the Jets to have the turf over the Sharks because he's crazy racist. Yeah. And I think it's noteworthy that he seems to see the Sharks as a threat, whereas he sees the Jets as, like, punk kids. A nuisance. Right. But he doesn't have any real concern for any of them. No, they're not real people to him. So anyway, I think it's worthwhile that the best interaction they have from their perspective with an adult is when those adults are mannequins. Who literally don't have faces. And who can't argue against what they want them to say. 
And Tony and Maria decide that what they want to say is that they're getting married. And so they do a very sweet fake marriage there in the dress shop. There's a cool thing where they kneel down and Wise pulls the camera back some to use walls of the shop to effectively change the aspect ratio almost to like an academy ratio, which really just frames them very tightly in this church-like scene. And then they're married, fakely. They're fake married. And they decide to meet up again, but Maria demands that Tony stop the rumble completely. Yeah, and at first Tony's like, hey, I convinced them to just do man-to-man fair fight, use your fists, so nobody's going to get really hurt. Right. And Maria's like, no, you got to put a complete stop to this, because if they fight at all, they'll get to hate each other more, and that will be bad for any future relationship we could have. Because Maria is quickly moving all in, but is more realistic about the challenges than Tony is. Tony, such a beautiful, oblivious idiot who thinks it'll all work out for some reason. I wonder how much of that is his recent distance from the gang world. He just hasn't seen it in a while, so he may have romanticized it in his head too much. I think that's entirely possible. Whereas Maria is immersed in it, living as she does with Bernardo. Right. So then there's the rumble. This isn't really a point because it's not very romantic because two people die. Yeah. Uh, Bernardo kills Riff. And then Romeo kills Tybalt. I mean, excuse me, Tony kills Bernardo. And then the cops show up and they all run. And it's one of the scenes where we get to see really cool usage of the chain link fences that are around the island. People climbing over them, swinging along them, going through pipes. Why does Tony not just go through the same pipe that What's-Her-Face goes through? I don't know. <laughs> Watching that whole thing, Bree's like acting like he's trapped, even though there's the very Because he feels obvious, trapped. I know. It's dance. And then he like throws himself up over the fence. I was just like, you are a drama queen, sir. Yeah, absolutely. I do love the fences, particularly at the end of the movie. How, on the one hand, they are this cool playground, especially for the dances that Jerome Robbins and, after he was fired, his assistants were using for choreography. But there are a number of shots where people see each other across one or sometimes several fences, which do a nice job of representing these layers of distance that are much more significant than the literal physical distance between them. But they also do a really great job of showing us how trapped these people feel in a relatively small space. Because as large as New York City is, again, what we keep coming back to is the idea that they don't feel they can go beyond this one little corner of it. And they don't. They never do. So this brings us to point four. post-rumble. So Maria is up on the rooftop waiting to meet Tony. She's dancing around. Then the door opens. She turns around expecting Tony, but it's Chino looking all beat up. Yeah, he's bruised, and Maria's like, what the heck is wrong with you, Chino? And then he says, Tony murdered Bernardo. Which is a huge bomb to drop. Yeah, that's a lot. And Maria, understandably upset, is in her her room, and then Tony climbs in through the window. As one does. It's a classic Edward Cullen move. Yes. It's just, you know, not happy with him, to say the least. Understandably. But then he convinces her, and they decide they still love each other. And then they probably bang. We don't, like, know for sure that they bang, but the next time we see them, he's not wearing a shirt, and they're lying down. It's very much the Romeo and Juliet, did they bang? But it's movie code for, like, 
Probably. Probably. And then they decide to run away together to the country. Yeah, there's a place for them. Yeah. So Tony has a plan to borrow money from Doc, and they'll meet up at the bus station and run away and never look back, and they'll leave all this stuff behind them. So he's getting ready to roll when Anita comes home knocking on the door. Now, she's obviously very upset by all this because, again, she's in love with Bernardo, who is now dead. Yes. And Anita realizes that Tony was in there with Maria and is like, holy crap, you've got to put a stop to this. I can't believe you still love him, even though he murdered your brother. Right. Which is explicitly said in the song, A Boy Like That. Right. And, you know, it makes less sense in this than it does in Romeo and Juliet where Juliet basically has already established that she doesn't really like Tybalt that much. In this, it is her beloved brother, so it seems to me that it would be a little harder to look past. Right, and that's again where we get into the unbelievability of this perfect movie. Yeah, the score foreshadowing will not be that high from me. It's going to be very low, but the movie's a masterpiece. Again, there is no connection between goodness of movie and highness of score. Yeah, we got to do some other weird movies that we think might score high. Yeah. So in point number five. Lieutenant Shrank shows up and he wants to question Maria to find out if she knows where any of the main people involved are. Right. Like, the people that should be tried for murder. Right. Lieutenant Shrank, kind of doing his job. Uh, Barely. Doing it badly and very insensitively. Yeah. So, Maria then asks Anita to go give the message to Tony that... She's delayed. She's delayed. She'll be there. Get the money. I'll see you soon. We also know at this point that Chino is out on the streets looking for Tony. Yeah. To do the murder. Chino's gotten a gun, and he's going to get revenge. Right. So, Anita shows up at Doc's. Tony's in the basement. Doc is upstairs trying to get the money together. And then the Jets are in the store, and they harass Anita, pin her down. It's a very upsetting scene. assault her. I was not enjoying it. I had forgotten how intense that scene was. It's very upsetting. It's, like, implied that it could lead to sexual assault. Oh, I think implied is generous. It's definitely going to lead to sexual assault. Yeah. It is sexual assault, but it's implied that it'll go probably to rape if Doc doesn't interfere. And I think it's interesting to think about in light of something Arthur Lawrence said when he directed the revival of this on Broadway in 2007. And he talked about one of the things he wanted to emphasize more in that revival was these are people in a very hard situation and there is sympathy for their frustrations but all of these guys are also all potential murderers they're all hugely bigoted they're all criminals potential murderers and after this see potential rapists and even though we see like baby john being nervous about all this and like he just wants to read his reprints of captain marvel comics by the same token he is being indoctrinated into this community. And I think he's a good example of a contrast with someone like Riff, where Riff is like, this is all there is. How could you ever go beyond that? We are fighting for our lives, but having the time of our lives. And then on the other hand, we see how someone gets involved where baby John is just like, this is the only thing available to me. And what that leads to is true horror, like we see with Anita. Right. And so Anita, understandably then, decides that Tony and Maria shouldn't be together, tells them to tell Tony that Maria is dead. That Chino killed her. And she leaves. And you know what? 
honestly, probably good for her. I understand where she comes from. I think she makes a decision that makes sense. And she is gone. This movie really gets at the tragedy element of the tragedy of Romeo and Juliet. Where once the rumble happens, and especially once Tony leaves Maria's apartment, there is just this sense of foreboding that none of this will end well. And that things will just continue to get worse. Everyone's life is ruined by this. And you do kind of empathize with Doc when he's saying, why do you guys act like there's a war on? But you also feel the kids saying, look, we didn't make this world. This is all that's available to us. It is a tragedy for everyone involved. And people make choices and people make bad, horrible choices. But it has that sort of high drama element where you see them all feeling that it was the only choice available. So... Doc has to break the news to Tony that, in his mind, Maria is dead. And Tony bolts out of the store, and what he does is he starts shouting for Chino. He's not even looking for revenge, he is looking to be killed. He's like, Chino killed Maria, kill me too. And he's screaming for Chino, he's running through the streets, he runs into the fences. Some more fence work. This is the best fence work in the movie. Yes. He runs into the fences, and suddenly he sees Maria across all the fences. Wearing red. She's taken control of her life on some level. Right. But that's when Chino catches up to him and shoots him. Yeah. And he dies in her arms. In this, Maria lives. Maria does not commit suicide. Yeah. Arthur Lawrence talked about that as being the greater tragedy. That she lives with the effects of all that happened. Maria threatens to kill as many as she can with the gun before taking her own life. And then the cops show up. And she doesn't do it. And... She just collapses onto the ground. Yeah. And that's really it. The Jets take her scarf and drape it over her like a mourning shawl. And Tony's body is carried off. Chino is arrested. And Maria is left alone on the blacktop. Anyway, do you find the romance believable? Not even a little bit. This is maybe one of our lowest besides Howard the Duck. It's two days. It's two days. They are in love from eye contact and i just like i don't accept that as a thing not even a little bit i could even get seeing someone and being like holy cow i have to know everything about them right but it's not and it's not Teodoro. contact and i want to know more it's i've decided i'm fully in love with you you forgot they dance with each other do they though they do the dream ballet yeah okay like a little bit They just decide that they know everything they need to know. They're in love, and that's all they need. It's each other's names. Yeah, love is all you need. Sure. So I'm going to give this maybe a one. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) It's a one. Yep. There is basically nothing believable about it. Do you think either Tony or Maria are dateable? I don't trust their judgment at all. I'm going to go with no. We've established Tony is a dumb idiot. I just think that, like... If I saw Tony just at the beginning of this movie, I'd be like, good boy. Look at him stacking those crates. Yeah, he got out of the gang life. He's got a job. He seems like a nice young man. He's just so optimistic that it clouds his judgment and makes him fully dumb. Yeah. And then clearly Maria also exercises poor judgment. Yeah, I wonder if this had been Maria like five years after being in the U.S. instead of like shortly. And she like had a better sense of what her life looked like here. Or if they established... With a montage, which, you know, we're pro, that they've known each other for four days, five days, six days. That's too long. 
maybe I'd be more on board. You're expecting me to believe people would date for six days without getting married? <laughs> Please. All right. I think we all know the answer that I will give to this question, but if you had to pick a person in this movie to date, who would it be? So everyone's racist. Yes. Except Doc. Yes. Who also probably sells ice cream. And I wouldn't put it past him to sell comics. He does sell comics. We know that. The only comic we see is Captain Marvel, which would have been the Fawcett Comics version, now called Shazam, which was not being published at the time. So it would be reprints that wow, they were people selling. really don't care. I know. It's like it doesn't matter. Although, at the time the guys writing it would have been reading comics, Captain Marvel was a huge bestseller, so I understand the impulse. Doc has a soda fountain. He could probably give me a root beer float. I'm really into that. So, yeah, I think I'm going to go Doc for being not a racist. Yep, I'm going with Anita. Cool. Should this movie be made into a musical? It was a musical first. Should this movie be remade? I think that some very interesting things could be done with retelling this story. Yeah, it hasn't been confirmed, but I'm really hopeful that they'll use what I think is a really cool change from the most recent Broadway revival, which was taking some of the songs that are just Puerto Ricans on their own and translating the lyrics into Spanish. And I thought that's a really cool idea to show the differences between these communities, but also to be more authentic to how they would probably interact with each other. I think a lot of interesting discussion about race and gender and stuff could be done. And the influence of police in communities. I just hope that they do it and it's not just a straight retelling because so, otherwise then it's kind of like, what's the point this movie is? I mean, enough. Tony Kushner, the all-time great playwright behind things like Angels in America, he wrote the screenplay for Steven Spielberg's Lincoln. It was, what, 800 pages long at first, I believe? <laughs> yes. He is adapting the screenplay for the movie from the original stage musical. I have a lot of faith in Tony Kushner. I look forward to seeing what he does with it. I am optimistic. I'm excited to see it. I will see it. We will see. And this will also be the last Disney Christmas release before we go into our era of every December we have either a Star Wars or Avatar movie alternating. That's a weird era we're going to live in. Four Avatar sequels. Oh my god. They just cast Jermaine Clement. I saw that. This will be old news by the time this comes I out. I know. Oh my god. What a weird world. Dude, what if they're good? I think that does it for this movie. Next time, we'll be continuing our month of musicals with a return to our DreamWorks coverage, sponsored, of course, by Square Apron, with another of their rare, traditionally animated features. Next week, we'll be talking about, as canonically established in this podcast, my favorite sports movie. Has that changed since A League of Their Own? I mean, in real life, yes. In terms of podcast canon, I'm going to go with no. Oh, so you're playing a character on this show. Aren't we all? Aren't we all day? playing characters throughout life? Yeah. Yeah. We all have a face that we hide away forever. We're doing the road to El Dorado. I don't remember anything about this, except that it's where I learned what loaded dice are. Was there a song in the trailer called I'm on the road, maybe, to El Dorado? Is that a song in the movie? I don't know. I do know that this will probably be very sad now, knowing what I know about Spanish colonialism in Latin America. Probably. Not looking forward to that. Well, until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Please, I implore you. Hashtag debate baby. But also, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Last question, Mark. What's the best piece of dating advice you got from West Side Story? Take West Side Story. Do the opposite. <laughs> what do you mean? Date for longer than two days. Don't rush into marriage. 
don't commit murder against your potential partner's brother or sister. I think that every thing in this movie, if you did the opposite, would probably turn out better. I don't know. I found some really helpful advice, which is before you meet somebody significant in a relationship, you should practice all of your conversations with a mannequin. I think you should also learn how to make slow-mo happen around you before you make eye contact. And to make everything else get blurry, except for two columns of clarity. Yep. So figure that out, how to do it in real life, and you're golden. There we go. Golden like the gold medal kid with the heavyweight crown. Until next time, I'm a ginger. And I'm gay. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye! Bye!